Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm a little on the fatigued side, you know? Just oh, a yeah? Bit. It's, been, uh, it's been, <laughs> been a long week as we record this podcast. It's Friday, so, um, I mean, I'm pumped for the weekend, but I'm also a little fatigued, but I've been, I've been drinking coffee, so I'm getting up. I'm getting up for this episode. I'm glad you're here to hear you're ready to go. <laughs> I'm always ready to go, man. <laughs> At least I pretend like I'm ready to go. Um, That's all you got to do? Yeah, man. One thing I want to talk about before we dive into like our conversation today was um, maybe me and you can just talk a little bit about our experience like doing that live podcast at... Uh, at Western the other day, that was, that was a, a first for us on the PT coffee cast. And I mean, I know you and had quite a good time and, and it was fun. It was fun for me also. So I, I want to hear maybe some of your thoughts about how that went. And Oh man, first of all, shout out to all of the Western students. Who <laughs> shout out. That was uh, super fun, you know, because it's just so cool to see, you know what I think stood out to me actually is just the, the questions that they were asking us, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, I feel like people are becoming more and more aware part, partly because of like things like the level up initiative, you know, where people are really aware of like biopsychosocial model and, uh, starting to dive into like things like pain science and, uh, motivational interviewing and that type of stuff earlier now even in comparison to when we were in school. Yeah, I would agree. And and you can see, I mean, we talked to only a few people, but like just the the interest and the curiosity in like the students to like like learn more about what's out there and and that yeah. like, you know, they they can start they can see how like those things are having big influences on um the people they're seeing. Yeah, totally. Plus, it was fun just like bringing the coffee there and, you know, having everybody drinking it and seeing that they were enjoying it was super awesome. Yeah, man, it's cool because like we sat in that room, I don't know how many damn hours when we were in that program. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it it was cool to be able to like go back there, not even, I mean, a year later since like the last time we sat in that room and and be at the front and kind of tell you know tell our story um you know it was kind of it was kind of surreal I don't think I really realized it in the moment but like after when me and you were kind of talking about it and even now as I like think about it it's like it's pretty cool man to see how like full circle and how you know far we've come from the very first podcast episode we've done or even the very first Instagram post that we've posted so it's pretty cool so true man and you know what was awesome was uh like if i'm being honest with myself i think before i was a little bit nervous you know just oh yeah like speaking in front of 
uh, that many people. Like we don't do that that often. Right. Um, but once the podcast started, it's like, we've done it so many times. It just felt like we were just hanging out recording on the podcast. Yeah. And it felt, uh, it felt so, so right. (laughs) (laughs) No, man, I agree. So if there's uh, any other schools out there that want us to come and do a live podcast at their school, hit us up. We're down. We will do it. We will do it for sure. Uh All right, man, let's dive into um, the topic that we're going to talk about today. I'm going to let you kind of intro it and then um, me and you can kind of just vibe off of our thoughts for the people. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I don't know how this, what, like, this post that we did, we put it out a while ago. Yeah, I I think I have when we put it out uh, right here. June 14th, 2018. Wow, so like a year ago like over a year ago yeah and but i think somebody posted it and so it kind of got re kind of uh brought back to life yeah do you want to read do you have the post up there yeah i do yeah so it was a post we made about um how it's important to modify activity rather than eliminate it so um it's a little graphic of a dude doing a kettlebell deadlift (laughs) And it says a good physical therapist will modify your activity rather than eliminate it. And the gist of like the caption was just talking about how we should be movement optimists and we should be focused on keeping people as active as possible um, and keeping them engaged in like their meaning, their meaningful activities. Um, And then as physical therapists, we sit in a good position with our understanding of pain and our ability to assess um, and, and understand movements and biomechanics um, and how we can keep people doing the activities that they enjoy without just like cutting them off completely. Yeah, for sure. I, I think just before we talk about it more, you know, we should probably just clear the air that that physical therapist could easily be replaced by um, any other active yeah. activity related uh, health professional or yeah. strength coach or doctor, uh, you name it. Like, could be any of those too mm-hmm. but um yeah like uh as far as like why we made it i think it's it's just because we've we have had experiences uh, whether it's like with ourselves or uh when we were on placements of seeing examples of uh people or healthcare professionals like shutting down people's activity mm-hmm. uh immediately without giving much thought as to you know, why they were doing that or how that's impacting the person. Uh, and so we feel strongly that before you decide to, uh, like eliminate an activity completely, uh, probably temporarily, at least, uh, you should make an effort to figure out if there's a way to sort of modify the activity and keep the person in whatever their, uh, the thing that they're doing is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That was, that was basically, um, you know, the gist, the gist of it. Um, I know, I know this was something like when we posted this, it kind of was on the trend of like where we started to shift our mindset and like how we were going to approach care based off of like, you know, what we were reading, who we were listening to on podcasts, like all of that kind of, kind of thing. And when, when we started to 
adopt this mindset of like a movement optimism, having movement optimism, and then, you know, making sure we're not taking away activities. Um, it really opened our eyes and gave us a new light into like the approach to care. How has that kind of like translated into some of the things that you do now, like maybe some potential like examples that we could talk about as how you could see this, like be put into to practice. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, just in case there are people listening who like don't really know what, like, what do we mean by like movement optimism? You know? So I think like how I would think about that is like, neither of us really view like a certain activity. Uh, let's just throw a couple out there, like running, uh, weightlifting, uh, overhead pressing, like things that kind of like deadlifting. Yeah. Deadlifting. Like we don't view any of these things as uh, harmful for the body inherently. Mm -hmm. Uh, we view maybe, uh, more based off of like a preparation, uh, model. And so people can get hurt and have pain. Uh, and that may ne not necessarily be, uh, that related to like poor technique or, uh, improper like body, uh, kinematics or something like that right uh, and so that's kind of what we mean by movement optimist is like we view the person as uh temporarily sensitized to certain positions uh and then our aim is to hopefully uh maybe calm that down initially with some modifications and then develop the capacity to get back to those movements yeah man that was that was very well said bro um Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think it's important to mention that it's not like that we don't we don't care about the way someone moves. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, like we're not. If it looks really shitty, then you know it probably is. But there's certain ways that you can go about, like it, like I don't even want to say correcting, helping guide that person to maybe move more optimally for what they're trying to do right. you know what i mean yeah it's context dependent right, right? which is kind of what you're hitting on there like yeah uh it it really depends on the person and what they're trying to do uh and what is sort of uh what movements they are sensitive to and how that goes into your like thought process mm -hmm. uh but maybe we can get into some of the examples yeah uh, yeah so I had kind of one that I was thinking about more as like a more on a kind of general scale. Uh, but I had a uh, guy come in um, and he was a runner uh, and he was having, I th it was, he was, he was having some like patellar uh, tendon pain. Mm -hmm. um, he had basically kind of just persisted through a previous uh, marathon and came out and his patellar 10 was on fire you know he was having a lot of pain uh unable to run really and went to the doctors and they suggested essentially just not running uh take a couple weeks off uh and then get back into it um didn't work he tried to get back into it and essentially couldn't do it and then so came to me uh and we got talking and we developed some strategies uh, to try to ease him back into running. And so what that kind of looked like was we decided upon an amount of pain uh, 
that was acceptable during the run. It was something fairly low. It was around three or four. And he would log kind of, you know, his runs and how much pain he had during them. Uh, and since he was a triathlete, he would do the same thing for his biking and his uh, swimming. Uh, we also introduced some, like, some loading for the tendon uh, as an aside. But uh, he would do walk runs instead of uh, full runs. And then what we would do is each week uh, – we would collect the data and just kind of see, is he doing okay with this? Uh, are there any weird spikes in like how much pain he's having? Is he tolerating the increases? And we eventually just shrunk the amount of walking in the run until he uh, was able to do the amount that he needed to for his race. Uh, Which was how much? Like how much was that? I think it was 10K that he had to run. Uh, I'm not sure whether it was like a triathlon. I think it was a triathlon, but it wasn't like a full one or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't do them. So I can't remember the exact. Uh, you only, numbers. you only, you only deadlift, bro. <laughs> but I knew he had to run 10 K. Okay. So that was kind of the, the ideas we just needed to uh, build. And so a lot of that was, you know, establishing like strategies for like, how do we, how do we get him back into running? Right. Yeah. So, that was kind of so as you shrunk, as you shrunk the walk time and increased the run time, you're still monitoring symptoms like on that agreed upon pain. Mm -hmm. And then as you, as he gradually started to increase running, you, he was able to keep those pain, that pain level in within that acceptable zone as you were got him back to the normal running. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. And it worked out, you know, uh, not saying it would work out for everybody, right? Like, no, uh, it's a specific, but, yeah. That approach, the, the overall approach of like, not just taking away the running or saying rest and then try to go back to running, you know? Exactly. Cause you're getting into also like, this is this person's life. That's what he do. That's what he does. Right. You know, he's probably okay with running with a little bit of pain. Yeah. And that's a good, that's a good point because my next thing was going to be like, so he runs the race, right. And he's good. Like he, he completes it. You said he did pretty well. Um, what does after that look like? Like, did you, were you guys done after that? Like once you got him back to his race, he's, you're like, peace, see you later. Well, did the you good guys thing continue to work on, you know, stuff to maybe gain more control of like his, his, his irritation levels or, you know what I'm saying? I think in that uh, situation, like with something like a tendon, I think, you're always going to be managing it, you know, like that's part of like being like that level of an athlete. Yeah. And no, so I'm if you're, you're kind of setting someone up for failure, if you're uh, having them expect that they should never have that tendon pain mm -hmm. uh, throughout their training. But what you can do is put them in the driver's seat and have them show them how they can uh, vary their training occasionally, <clears throat> show them how to deload, show yeah. them how to build like capacity and attendance. So awesome. I, I let him go after that actually. 
No, I like, I like that because that was going to be my, my, my thing. My next thing is like, how, how do you go on after that? Like, obviously he wanted to run this race. So you gave him the strategies to run it. Um, but then giving him more understanding of how he can manage those things on his own, because maybe, maybe it is a good idea for him to not necessarily stop running altogether, but maybe he needs to take some time to deload, like you're saying, and back off his volume to maybe even lower that irritation of that tendon down before he ramps back up for, let's say another competition or his like, like, I don't know if he's doing like, like a certain amount of races in a row. That's like his competitive season or whatnot. So like, those are conversations obviously that you can have with someone too. Right. Yeah. I think that uh, comes down to like understanding that, especially with someone who's like, uh, an athlete like that like it's important to actually take time to like like a lot of our sessions were sitting there uh talking about those things and Mm -hmm. writing things down like showing like teaching him how to uh log and manage his training stress Mm -hmm. right and so like hey like you know maybe after the race you kind of dial it back like and showing him that he was able to not run 10K every time and still succeed in the race. Right. Right? So it's like a lot of like strategy building and giving him the uh, tools to uh, keep track of his own training and progress and make right. decisions. Right. What – um what do you think allowed you to take that approach? Well, it was right after we went to Dr. Jake Harden's course. Actually. Shout out. Shout out. Uh, so if you haven't taken pre-op 101, you definitely should take <laughs> that course. It was a great course. Excellent course. Um, but yeah, and, and that, and I think just kind of, I think personal experience helped me a little bit too, mm-hmm. because I power lift and, I know how empowering it is when you have an awareness of like your progress and you keep track of it. Uh, and I'm not necessarily like a proponent of like always keeping track of like how much pain you're having and yeah. stuff, but at least if you're like a high level athlete, like knowing how much you've been running and how much training stress you have, and then uh, maybe adjusting that if, if like, uh, you're feeling really fatigued and, and understanding also like how uh, other variables can impact your fatigue and your performance too. Uh, that kind of gave me the confidence with helping him uh, go through his process because I know that's been helpful uh, for me. So that's where I think it's valuable to try uh, striving for like a competition or something as like, uh, a physical therapist or any sort of like a uh, health professional to actually go through that kind of process yourself and see the ups and downs uh, to understand a little bit better, like what the person might be going through. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah, and I think, I think it's an overall, I don't know, like the approach can be translated to many different things, right? Like you used it for an at and like an athlete who's training, trying to run a triathlon, right? But like on the flip side, we can kind of talk about an experience that I had that's a little bit different. 
but is kind of along the same lines in the sense of like not completely eliminating something and giving them options and gradually exposing them and having them build up tolerance to be able to complete the activity that they want to do. Right. So like for, for me, I was, (laughs) I was working with a lady, an older lady. Um, She was experiencing some back pain. It was very like flexion based discomfort. Um, She had had it for, 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 for a bit. Um, and we had been working together for, for like a couple of weeks. Um, so we already kind of set the, the basis of like understanding like, like pain as a sensitivity and that like, just because she's been like bending over is not necessarily like a, a terrible thing and that she can't bend over. But right now it's just, it's just a position that she's not like tolerating and we need to find other ways to expose her to that position without kind of flaring her up type stuff. Right. So we were working on a lot of those things and she was getting better. Um, and so I always like to ask like, what is, what is there that you're still doing in your daily life that, you know, is causing you discomfort or you're having trouble with. Right. And the one thing that she had said from the start and continued to say was like vacuuming her stairs. Um, and this is something like, she was adamant about vacuuming her stairs, man. Like I tried, I told her, tell your husband to do it. <laughs> um, but like, no, it was something that she really, you know, she liked to keep her house clean, man. So like she, she got that new Dyson vacuum. Yeah. She just had to get it done. Right. And so at this point, like the one thing that was still bothering her a lot was vacuuming her stairs and she was doing it with like a little handheld vacuum that required her to be in a, a flexed position for the set of stairs and it was it was it was bothering her um so we kind of talked and again we did the same thing we came up with an idea we came up with this what is an acceptable like level of discomfort that you feel comfortable with you know and that's not going to cause you to be super aggravated for the rest of the day you know um and we agreed upon that and then i just gave her some strategies so the strategy that we used was I have had, I had her doing some squatting to the floor and stuff already. So we knew that squatting down was something that didn't bug her, um, as, as when she was bending over. And so I literally, I can't remember the number of stairs that she had off the top of my head, but we came up with some plan where it was like every fifth step she would, she would bend over to clean the step instead of for the first four, she would squat down and clean. So the first four, she would squat down and clean the fifth step. She would round her back in air quotations, round her back and vacuum the stairs. And then the next five, she would squat. And then we get to the landing and she would take a little rest. And then she would go down the rest of the set of stairs. Um, the same kind of idea. And we would have her do that over the course of a couple of times that she cleaned the stairs and then gradually just increase the amount of times she would bend over instead of squat to clean the stairs until she got to the point where she was able to complete all of the stairs with very little to no discomfort. Man, that's actually so hype. Yeah. And she was pumped about it, bro. She was pumped about it. Cause like, she wanted, she wanted to do it. And the thing is, is like, she probably could have just squatted down and done all the stairs, you know, but like the point of it was to kind of prove to her too, that like bending over and rounding your back is not something that you should be afraid of. And it's not the reason why, like, it's not the reason why you had your, your back pain 
in the first place in the sense of it as it's a bad position like we kind of talked about it might have like I don't it wasn't really her back injury I don't think was related to her bending over the stairs but like that flexion position was something that she was just really sensitive to at the time and that required her to be in that position for a longer period of time which which aggravated her so it kind of proved to her that like it's not that rounding your back is bad um it's just when you get aggravated and you have high sensitivity levels, it's just a good idea to have more options to move. You know what I mean? And I even told her, I'm like, Hey, you know what? Maybe it's not a bad idea to mix it up a bit, you know, mm-hmm. like bend over and then for a couple stairs and then squat a couple stairs. You know what I mean? Just in general, just to give her the, give her the movement options, bro. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I, I had a question for you, cause uh, I think we both kind of said it, but, uh, you you asked her, you know, you guys came up uh, together with an agreed upon like amount of discomfort that would be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you go about that conversation, and what what's your reasoning for uh, doing it that way? Yeah, I think the reasoning off the bat is to just set the idea that that pain, like increases in pain or pain in itself, is doesn't mean that you're doing more harm. To yourself necessarily right like um it's it's not something that to be scared of it's just something at this time that's give that's telling you hey maybe this position isn't something that your body wants to do right now or for whatever reason you're very sensitive to this um and sorry what was the second part of your question it was like how do you go about like having the conversation yeah and and why uh, are you kind of uh, not just setting the limit yourself, I guess? Right. And one of the reasons why like I don't set the limit myself is because I don't know what they're – I can't – I don't know what they're experiencing. So I, I make sure that that's set like off the top is like this is your body. This is your experience. This isn't mine. So like I can't I can't rate it for you or come up with like, hey, don't go higher than like – six out of 10 pain. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's more like how, how kind of we, it's more on them and what they feel comfortable with doing. So how I usually come up with it. And I think in that example is like, I had her doing like different movements and things already where like, you know, one movement she had done that brought her pain levels up pretty high, let's say like seven out of 10. And then I had her doing other things that she rated as like lower down on the pain scale and she and and I asked her like are you comfortable with moving in this position or doing things with that level of discomfort like do you feel safe doing this or do you feel confident that that this this pain level is okay for you to continue to do what you're doing and and she said yes I felt it's that's fine and then there's times where I've had people say no like I don't want to do that right so that's just a good, that's how I usually do it. I'm sure there's a million ways to go about doing it, but I usually try to have like take tangible examples from our session to then like reinforce as we go through. Yeah, totally. I think that like gives the person a little bit more of a sense of control and self-efficacy with their pain, Mm -hmm. you know, which we know is a huge indicator of like success, you know, just, understanding like oh okay you know i can change this and i'm in control of like how much pain i'm i'm willing to have during this mm. uh because on the flip side like setting a crazy expectation like you're not allowed to have any pain mm-hmm. uh in a lot of cases uh is probably not realistic right no 
it's not because you're going to have discomfort, right? Like most of the time when you're doing things. So exactly. But if you can kind of scale it and keep it within like a tolerable range, like then Mm -hmm. there you go. And it gives you an idea. It gives you a better idea of how that person view, like how they're viewing what they're going through. Right. Like Mm -hmm. if they're not cool with, you know, working at like a low level, like let's say a two out of 10, they're like, nah, I'm not good with that. Then it comes to give you an idea of like how they view it, how they, or maybe like they're not ready yet to try something that's going to cause them even a little bit of aggravation. Right. So it just gives you a little bit more information as to like how you can go about it. Cause sometimes it's not necessarily, I mean, in my, maybe some of my experiences is like, it's not necessarily good to like push that person to be like, no, it's okay. Like sometimes I think you need to do that, but sometimes people aren't ready to, to do that yet and it kind of just depends on the situation yeah totally the other other the other uh thing i kind of noticed is like your thought process is still biomechanically driven you know like your your reasoning for having her uh squat and and that was still a biomechanical thought process so it's still useful to like have that understanding of like if someone is sensitive to certain loads or certain uh, positions, then you can still use that to guide uh, where you might go with your, when you're planning your like uh, exercises you're going to do, or even like activity modifications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think, I think it, it, I mean, biomechanics is important, right. And like having and knowing like, you know, if someone's squatting down, they're more likely to be in a less, rounded back or let's say a more neutral spine position than they would be if they're just bending over and that's a good movement option for them at that time right it's important it's the same thing that goes with certain like knee dominant or hip dominant movements like i mean i know you've had to do this before and i've had to do it before but like going like squatting you know what i mean like going from a more like knee dominant squat to a more hip dominant squat by going to a box and you know maybe you using more of a low bar stance where it's more hip dominant than doing something that's more of a high bar stance. It's going to be more knee dominant or, you know, something along those lines, right? Like that's just under like kind of understanding that, you know, the, the way that you move does matter if those positions are sensitive. Exactly. And so that's where like having an awareness of how to modify those things, how to coach people through that, and uh, but then also like the language that you're going to use uh the reasoning for why you're doing it uh is probably even more important than uh the exercise themselves Mm -hmm. no for sure for sure and that comes back to that movement movement optimism right you're always like there's no like trying to just be more positive with the way people move because we, everyone moves so differently, bro. Like mm-hmm. you, you like, you'll see someone come in and you'll be like, I don't know. Like you would expect this person squat to not feel good, but they feel fine. So it's like, you know, it's not like being nitpick, too nitpicky when you don't have to be. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing too. That kind of complicates it is like, you want to have those, options but sometimes even though it makes logical sense the person in front of you may not respond the way you might think they will yeah so you you 
you can't let your your feeling that they should be tolerating this biomechanically based off of the assessment affect how they're actually responding mm. you know like uh, like for a practical like example of that like for example you would think uh switching to a low bar position would offload the knees a little bit versus a high bar but what if someone is so stressed out by this new uh for example dalton lano <laughs> yeah. doesn't doesn't like the low bar spot that maybe that actually makes your knee feel worse yeah bro so <laughs> guess what we're not gonna do yeah we're not gonna low bar squat yeah then then you just sit there and you're like oh shit what do I do now, bro? That's happening. Like, oh, let's just let's just let's just reverse lunge instead of forward lunge because that'll help. That'll probably feel better because your knee's not going so much forward. And then they're like, "This makes me way worse." Yeah. And you're just and that's like, where you gotta have backup plans. You're like sweating. You're like, oh god, <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> let's be real. That's probably most of the time, right, Dalton? Yeah, hundred um, percent. But it does happen, though, and that's. Oh, it does, and then you know. just you just you just figure you figure out okay how can how can we adjust other variables? Are there, is there another position we can put this person in? Is there another modification that I can use to try to get this person? And maybe maybe at that time, that squat is not the way you're going to load the knee, mm-hmm. and you just find another way that you're going to start to load knee flexion. In, in a way that is safe and appropriate for them. And that just, right. go ahead, go ahead. Or, or you can change another variable that's not even like a modification. Uh, like for example, I had a guy that, you know, uh, he was having trouble with push-ups, but when I actually dove deeper and I asked him how many push-ups he was doing, he was doing 30 at once. Right. So instead of doing 30 at once, we just broke it up into sets of five. Yeah, that's right. a good point, man. Instead of like changing the volume. Because then instead of overthinking something and being like, oh, it's the way that your left pinky is because if you don't keep your left pinky this way, it's going to throw your your muscles out of alignment. You're not going to be able to do push-ups. <laughs> You're using way too much flexor carpile in there. <laughs> um, okay, just to, just to wrap up, though, one thing I want to touch on is like, when there's obviously times where you have you're gonna have to tell someone no i don't think it's a good idea that you go and continue doing this activity like that does that does happen right like i think both of us have been in that scenario where we we first and foremost always always try to keep the person doing what they what they want to do um, in some capacity but there's obviously times where um, you might, they might not be able to do that. So in your opinion, and then I can kind of chime in a little bit is like, how have you gone about dealing with that situation? And what are a couple of things maybe that you use to make sure that this person understands that it's not forever? Yeah. Well, just on that last point, like you've got to make sure that you're uh, explaining that this isn't, you know, forever. This is a temporary thing. Uh, but then highlighting that you've got a plan uh and i think bonus if you can have an objective measure to show them mm-hmm. uh and and to justify uh why you're eliminating the activity um good example of that is i had someone with uh, forearm pain and we had an objective measure with a pain-free grip uh strength test uh where we had her grip 
uh, as much as she could without having pain. And uh, it was a large difference with the painful side versus non-painful side. And then she asked if she should go do a bunch of gripping stuff uh, on the weekend. And it's probably not going to kill her, but it's probably not going to be helpful either. And so I recommended not yet. Uh, and I had an objective measure to back it up. And then we covered how we were going to get her grip strength up. And that once it's closer to the other side, we can start doing some things like that. Yeah. And, and I think just to build off that, like once you start getting her closer, you could probably then take some of those modified activities that you have an idea of and implement them to then again, reinforce and show her, Hey, we're making, we're taking the steps to getting you back to doing exactly what you want to do. That's right. I think you gotta, you gotta probably weigh the, uh, the risk reward. Right. And if, if the, the risk of it, like, uh, is it going to be a net negative? Is there like a high likelihood of that being, uh, you know, leading to some type of a flare up, uh, then, then you have to kind of like weigh that in your mind based off of like your assessment. Right. Like when to do that or if you should. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you get to that, that point where you're trying to implement some of those new activities again to get her back it's important to be transparent with the fact that like, Hey, there's a potential that you are going to flare up, mm -hmm. you know, and we need to work together to find that balance of load and, and, and volume um, to allow you to do some of these things, you know, within reason. So like, that's another, I think, good thing to, to consider. Yes. Setting the expectations uh, there that, you know, it's not going to be a smooth ride, you know, because uh, if, if you assume it's going to go perfectly and that it doesn't guess whose fault that is. <laughs> it's yours, Will. It's all your <laughs> fault, bro. It's all my oh, fault. Yeah. No, that's good, man. I, th I really, uh, I think that was, that was a good conversation and, um, it's kind of cool to see that post come up again because that was a yeah. that was a pretty that was a pretty popular post for us back in a year ago and it's kind of cool to see it kind of come back around and now here we are having a another conversation about it shows how little we've grown since then Dalton <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, just kidding man. yeah you're right bro <laughs> oh that's funny um yeah man anything else you want to add no, I don't, I don't think so. Cool. How about you? No, I think that was good, man. Um, yeah, guys, hopefully you enjoyed that, took something away from it. If you did, um, shoot us a message. Let us know uh, what you learned. If you have other strategies or ways that you modify or you mm. do things, please send us a message. If you have any experiences where you've implemented these strategies and you've had them work or you've had them fail, um, let us know. We're, we're trying to learn every day just like you are and having these conversations and getting insights from other people is, is how we all grow. Um, so yeah, shoot us a, a DM or an email or um, if you have Will's number, just give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, if, if you're like a student or something and you're like, what the heck is this like movement optimism stuff or, you know, uh, how do I know like whether it's okay to like exercise into pain 
or something like that, uh, reach out to us and we'll uh, shoot you to some resources. Yeah, I think maybe we'll even post some of that maybe in the show notes of this, like some of the stuff that we read or where we got like a lot of that information with, which is basically a lot from Greg Lieben. But um, yeah, yeah, we'll link up, <laughs> we'll link up some stuff. All right, guys, that's all we got for today. Um, if you want to find us on social, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the MVMT PTs. Um, you can email us themovementpts at gmail.com. Please head over to iTunes, subscribe, drop us a review. Um, and if you enjoyed any one of our episodes, please share it with another person. Um, we appreciate the support. And last but not least, we'll plug the OG blend because it is the original coffee of rehab and you all should be drinking it. Um, you can find it on our Instagram page. Um, in the bio, there's a link to our website where you can get a bag and we'll also link it up in the show notes, um, for you guys to have. If you are drinking the OG button, send us some pictures. We love it. And we hope you guys are all enjoying it. All right. Peace.